You're listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, this is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. We recently had the honor and privilege of moderating a special conference call on the COVID-19 crisis with Dr. John White, Chief Medical Officer at WebMD, along with four subject matter experts from BMO Financial Group, including Chief Economist Doug Porter, Head of U.S. Rate Strategy Ian Lingen, Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Wealth Management Michael Stritch, and myself. Dr. John White provided a tremendous amount of real-time insights that we believe our clients at BMO should know about. Here's an excerpt of Dr. John White's comments from the conference call. I'm going to talk a few minutes and go over what we know, as well as what I think we need to talk about in some optimism and how we're addressing the epidemic. The biggest news over the weekend is a new phase of testing that is going to go in effect over the next few days and dramatically increase our testing capability. And that's very good news. Because until now, at least in the United States, we basically just had the CDC and state labs doing the testing, which was very slow, had a lot of bumps along the road, But now we've announced that we're going to have the big commercial labs do testing, as well as hospitals, as well as health systems. So it's estimated that now we will have over 2,000 labs to be able to do testing. And what that going to mean is that it's expected that we'll be able to do 1.9 million tests over the next several weeks to several months. You might have been hearing about there's going to be some testing in Walmart parking lots in certain cluster areas, but you have to keep in mind that this increased testing capability is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be available tomorrow. It's going to be gradual. So there's going to be some prioritization as to who gets tested first with this increased capacity, and it's been announced First, we're going to focus on healthcare workers and first responders because we need to keep those persons well and also understand that they've been exposed so they don't expose others. And then the elderly are going to have priority. There's been different definition of what elderly means. But for testing purposes, elderly is being defined as greater than 65 with respiratory symptoms, and by that we mean cough as well as a fever of at least 99.6. The elderly often don't exhibit the the fevers that we see in children, 103, 104. So we're using that cutoff as 99.6 to get prioritization for testing. But we're not testing the worried well or, or folks that don't have symptoms or known exposure. So for perspective, we're hoping to be able to ramp up to roughly 10,000 tests a day, which is roughly what South Korea has been doing with a much smaller population. And again, this is good news 
about increased testing because we'll better understand the extent of the epidemic, the pandemic, its virulence, how dangerous it really is, so we can get a much better sense of the denominator of who's infected because we do believe there's community spread, so we believe that number is higher, and whether mitigation strategies are working. But here's what we all need to keep in mind as, as we continuously get news updates, and, and I'm sure you're all aware of this. As we test more, the number of new cases are going to go up. That's expected. They may go up dramatically as we move to 10,000 people a day. The reality is up to now, probably only about 22,000 people have been tested in the United States. It's almost the same in Canada with a smaller population. So if we're now doing 10,000 tests a day instead of 20,000-plus tests over several months, the numbers are going to increase dramatically. But people should not become alarmed by that. And, and that's what I really want to um, get out there. That's something that we expect. It won't be something that's unusual, and it's actually something that's good news. Testing is critical. Let's talk a little bit about vaccine development, because there's been uh, some encouraging news just announced a few hours ago. 35 companies have announced plans to actively work on a vaccine. And I can tell you, you know, Brian mentioned I've worked at FDA. Um, the drug process, including for our vaccines, is a long process by design. Um, even under the best of circumstances, it's at least an 18-month endeavor if everything goes as planned. And often in vaccine trials, as well as other drug trials, they don't. But today, uh, it's been reported um, that the, the first study has begun in humans uh, relating to vaccine development. But remember, this is about safety up front. That's the first phase. We'll then move to efficacy uh, and then other safety elements. But that's a good sign that we're already moving to testing for vaccine development. But still, it's an 18-month endeavor um, under the best of circumstances. But that's good news in terms of making progress. We're also making some progress on therapeutic interventions, treating people who have the virus. And, and let's just go a step back and talk about what are the symptoms, if you're concerned, that you may have coronavirus, especially now that we're having seasonal allergies. We still have widespread influenza. So the symptoms classically are cough. Fever is a very important component. If you do not have fever, you're unlikely to have coronavirus and then shortness of breath. Those are the classic symptoms for a coronavirus, which can help be a differentiator from some other conditions. The other encouraging news is that at least 80% recover with mild or moderate symptoms. The number is probably actually higher than that because we don't know the true denominator. Many people aren't getting tested. They don't have the ability to get tested. Um, and those symptoms are resolving with over-the-counter medicines uh, being used to treat pain and fever and drinking fluids. Where we need to be thinking more is about those that are at increased risk. And those that are at increased risk include the elderly, people with chronic diseases, and by that typically we're referring to diabetes, heart disease, respiratory problems, and cancer conditions which could make you immunocompromised, meaning you'd have a low white count. But we're getting encouraging news for therapeutic interventions from experts. 
Tom Frieden, the former CD commissioner, was making rounds this weekend, as well as several researchers at, from Johns Hopkins who have been talking about repurposing existing drugs. So what I mean by that is drugs that, have, that are already on the market but approved for other treatments. And, and we see that all the time in cardiovascular disease, including infectious disease. They may not be indicated uh, for that drug, but they're on the market for another indication. And are we learning about some potential efficacy for these drugs? Specifically, we're looking at antivirals, perhaps, um, you know, some of the drugs like Tamiflu or of that sort, as well as monoclonal antibodies. So there's been a lot of discussion in the last few days um, about some potential treatment strategies that we actually might be able to implement for those that are most seriously affected by COVID-19. And that's something as opposed to vaccines that are going to take 18 months at least, this may be something that we're seeing a guidance uh, in terms of a few weeks to a couple of months about what might be the best therapeutic interventions repurposing new drugs, repurposing new indications for drugs that are currently on the market. The Public Health Service also announced this Sunday the use of the strategic national stockpile. And why that's so important is that can help hospitals and communities with surge capacity. So all this discussion around bending the curve is around making sure that hospitals are prepared and equipped to address if there is a potential influx of patients in the community. So we're starting to see folks make those preparations. Hospitals are beginning to cancel and beginning to plan to cancel because that's important, elective surgeries. So we're just starting to see that. But hospital and health systems are getting prepared. That's a good thing. The stockpile is also making equipment available. Washington State has requested masks, um, and those have been delivered. So we're starting to see the surge capacity increasing, and, and that's a good thing. CDC also announced um, yesterday afternoon, it's been widely reported this morning, that all events of 50 people or more should be canceled for the next eight weeks. It's a guidance that advocates for, for people to engage in social distancing throughout early May. And that's why we're seeing uh, at least half of the school systems in the United States being closed, typically for a period of four to eight weeks. It's corresponding with several folks' spring break, so that can help mitigate it. We're also starting to see some states and local municipalities talk about closing gyms and restaurants or at least limiting the amount of time they can be open or for takeout, so to limit that. The other encouraging news is that there's a good chance that COVID-19, a novel virus, so it's a new virus, that it may act like other respiratory viruses that dissipate during warmer months, as well as more humid temperatures. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. There's less sneezing and coughing. Humidity often presents distance a virus can travel. There's some belief that UV sunlight may help kill viruses on surfaces, which can be a means of transmission. 
We know that heat and humidity make it harder for the virus to attach to cells in the lung. So we'll have to see. We don't know that for sure, but there's some speculation that it may respond like other viruses since it is a respiratory virus. So there's a lot of encouraging news in terms of the strategies that we're implementing now. There's a lot of debate whether they should have been implemented sooner or later, but the point is let's focus on what we can control and what we can do now. There's time later to debate. But we're making all the changes, implementing all the strategies that we know that which public health interventions work. We've seen it in Ebola. We've seen it in SARS. We're making those changes. And those are all good things that we should all feel great comfort in. Um, and I joked earlier today that, that social media is filled with a lot of armchair infectious disease experts. Everyone I talk to nowadays is, is a public health expert. Uh, and, and it's easy to get overwhelmed by the amount of information that's coming out. And let's be honest, a lot of it is wrong. A lot of it is pure conjecture. And we really need to look at the source of the information that we're consuming. Um, and perhaps not be constantly updated because we need some time to understand how valid this information is. We talk a lot about modeling. There's a lot of estimates in mathematical modeling. Most modeling is predicated upon doing nothing and then seeing, um, you know, what impacts have. But let's, you know, spend our time really thinking about we're doing what we need to do. We really are. We're using the public health strategies that have proven to work. We're making progress in testing. We're making progress on therapeutic interventions. We're putting the time and the effort needed in vaccine development. And we're implementing social distancing, which we need to do in order to bend that curve, uh, while at the same time building surge capacity. So there's a lot that I'm optimistic about. There's a lot of, in some ways, doom and gloom uh, on the news. But I think you know we're making all the steps that we need to be doing to really be prepared um, for this pandemic. And I'd be happy to answer the questions when, when time allows. And with that, I'm going to send it back to Brian. As Dr. White said, there are a lot of good reasons to be optimistic at this juncture based on number one, enhanced testing capabilities. Number two, active development of a vaccine. Number three, therapeutic intervention, and number four, social distancing that will help bend the curve down. For instance, in the U.S., 1.9 million tests are expected to take place over the next several weeks and months as over 2,000 labs and hospitals, large commercial areas, i.e. Walmart, etc., and public health systems start a new phase of enhanced testing. So far, a total of 28,000 cases have been tested, but this figure is expected to go up to 10,000 per day, which is the same level as South Korea, albeit a smaller population. 35 companies now actively working on a vaccine, and the first study in humans began actually Monday of this week. While it will still take up to 18 months to develop a commercial vaccine, which is the best case, this is still a very positive development. 
Furthermore, at least 80% of the people who have the virus will recover with mild to moderate symptoms. That said, it is important to understand the true denominator to get to a more accurate percentage, which will come with the increased testing. Also, there's a very good chance that COVID-19 may act like other respiratory viruses that dissipate during warmer months, as well as more humid temperatures. Finally, it's very important to look at the source of the information, as a lot of the information currently out there is, quite frankly, wrong and pure conjecture. We are all doing what we need to do, including social distancing, which will help bend down the curve. In conclusion, Dr. White believes there's very good reason to be optimistic. Obviously, COVID-19 is affecting all of us. We at BMO Financial Group are committed to bring you as much information with respect to our subject matter experts and what we are thinking, why are we are thinking, and doing these special podcasts. If you have other topics you'd like to consider, please pass them our way. Thank you so much for listening, and please be safe. Thanks for listening to Intune presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.